There's a part of me that wonders if just trying to create an environment where it's safe to stumble and fall a little bit, it's safe to mess yes, up. Yes, 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 you have to be ready to make a mistake. And 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 get pick up and, and go ahead and do it again. And look back over this life I've had and think about why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do this? Why did I let so many opportunities go by that were missed? Why aren't I doing more things right now? And I'm trying to find other ways I can be useful in this movement at age 75. And I know there are things I can do and I'm gonna do them. Watch me. From Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina, this is Sound Effect. Here's your host, Megan Hayes. On January 23rd, Julian Bond visited our campus as the featured speaker in Appalachian's 31st annual Martin Luther King Jr. commemoration. While I was on campus, he stopped by our podcast studio, and we wanted him to share his perspective because he continues to deliver a powerful message of equality, freedom, and justice as a sought-after public speaker, author, and commentator. Beginning with his role in the civil rights movement, Julian Bond has always been on the cutting edge of social change and leadership. He's legendary for his countless accomplishments and accolades, including chairmanship of the NAACP and being the first president of the Southern Poverty Law Center. A firsthand eyewitness to many watershed moments in the history of the civil rights movement, Bond founded the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and he organized voting drives and sit-ins. An elected member of the Georgia House of Representatives, he was denied his seat by legislators until the intervention of the United States Supreme Court in 1966. Co-chairman of an insurgent delegation to the 1968 Democratic Convention, Bond became the first African-American to be nominated for vice president of the United States. From his civil rights and anti-war leadership in the 1960s to his support for gay rights in the new millennium, Bond helped define activism in our country. As an activist, he's faced jail for his convictions, most recently for protesting the Keystone Pipeline. As a professor, he's taught at Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania, American University, and is a professor emeritus in the history department at the University of Virginia. That's actually a short version of his biography. It was hard not to be starstruck. Mr. Julian Bond, welcome to Appalachian State University. Thank you. That's very kind of you. We appreciate you joining us today. There's so much that I'd love to talk with you about today, but if we could focus our conversation on race relations I think that would be really helpful for our community because particularly last semester, we saw some really significant changes on our campus. We we welcomed a new chancellor who immediately identified increasing diversity as a priority for her and for our community. And we saw four demonstrations related to race relations on our predominantly white campus. So I'd like to take this opportunity to ask you about activism and changing community culture because we're a campus that's really watching our own evolution in terms of our diversity. And I think in some ways we're searching for how to be active participants in that evolution instead of just passively watching it happen. Um, so while we have these policies in place and you know recruitment goals and things like that for attracting a diverse base of faculty, staff, and students, we need, and, and I think that we, I really do think that we want to be a place that goes beyond the policies and the demographic bean counting and really affects true change and wants to move forward. And so we have to keep moving forward. And so I'd like to ask your thoughts today about what it means to move forward and how we can move forward. I think you have to find ways to nurture diversity. 
um, almost as if it were you're growing a plant or flowers, find some way to say to this group of students who were active in these protests that you mentioned uh, that you can do more, that your numbers can grow, that many of you who didn't participate can participate the next time, and there will be a next time, and we'll do XYZ or ABC or something. You have to create opportunities where people can say, I want to be a part of that. And what those opportunities may be, I don't know, but I'm sure these bright minds here can say this thing, that thing, the other thing. So you have to create opportunity for people to express themselves and to say, here's something we need to be doing, here's something we need to be pushing hard at. And you'll be surprised at the number of people, I think, who will say, well, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who who want to really be a part of that. if you don't mind, could we back up and just talk about the big picture for a minute? Sure. Um, I'm interested in your perspective just on the evolution of racism in America from the civil rights movement to the present day. Can you talk about how racism has changed and maybe even how it hasn't changed? You know, we're seeing this reactivation of activism that harkens to the civil rights movement. Let, let me talk about it in the, in the context of my own life. I became 75 last week, and uh, it was a wonderful time. But uh, I wondered... Over the course of my life, things have changed fairly radically. When I was the age of these students I was talking to an hour or so ago, um, it was a different world. It was a black and white world. I lived in Atlanta. That place in Atlanta, I couldn't go. I couldn't dare to go. I couldn't eat. I couldn't work at certain places. All that's changed. All that's gone. And all these changes have come about because of the activities of people in the movement. You know, we people in the civil rights movement call it the movement. And we think everybody knows what that means. But it's really just a collection of people, organizations, groups, who in one way or the other said, I'm going to make some change occur, and who went out and made that change occur. Um, And there's no reason this process can't continue as it does here. You say you've had four such protests here. Uh, That's something new here uh, that didn't happen before. And as I said a minute ago, it needs to be nurtured. It needs to be developed. It needs to be pushed and pushed and pushed, not yelled and shouted and screamed, but pushed and pushed and pushed so that more and more people think they can be a part of it. So nationally, there are all these conversations taking place about this new movement and how this new movement is defining itself. What are your thoughts on this, particularly how the this movement can sustain itself beyond this short-term trend associated with a social media hashtag? You know, so interesting to me, it reminds me of the Occupy movement, which really just petered out. Um, had great promise, but turned out, I think, to be nothing at all at the end. I don't think that's going to happen to this. And it's amazing to me to pick up every day's newspaper and see that in X city, X number of people did this, Y number of people did this, Chicago, Detroit, Birmingham, here, there, everywhere, these things keep going on. And I think they're going to keep going. I think people are going to want something to happen, some benefit to come out of this. And I I think we're going to find out more of who they are. You know, one complaint against this group of activists today, these young people today, is that they have no leaders. Of course, I think that's just bogus. Of course they have leaders. They are leaders. They're marching down the street. They're saying, meet me at this place. Let's get together at 10 o'clock. Let's do this. Let's all gather and, and so on. So, of course, they have leaders. We don't know them. We don't know their names, as we used to know leaders of the civil rights movement years and years ago. But... I think great things are going to happen. I'm just sitting and waiting for them to happen and trying to encourage them as much as I can. So along those lines, 
there's this point at which a movement has to keep going, has to move forward. So right. it's from, you know, you go to this, the activism that really is about um, creating awareness and moving to that point where real systemic cultural change can take place. Um, when you have seen that happen successfully, what did that look like? Well, if you think of the simplest kind of thing, uh, integration of lunch counters, I participated in sit-in demonstrations at lunch counters in Atlanta in the 1960s. And I didn't get arrested during any of these things in Atlanta. I got arrested for other things. But uh, I marched, I protested, I was pushed aside by the police, I was threatened with arrest. And all of that contributed to the integration of lunch counters. And when the law was passed, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed, with that occurring, bam, it happened just like that. But it happened because of the activities of people who fought and yelled and screamed and made noise and and did get arrested, who did all the things that movement had to do to, to make these things happen. That's going to happen with, with this now. We're not sure about what role it's going to take. We don't know what's going to happen, but I, I can tell you, I, I believe as surely as I'm sitting here, that the same pattern is going to be followed. It won't be exactly the same. Things won't behave exactly the same way. People won't do exactly the same thing. But people are going to say, I'm going to do something about this. I'm irritated at this. I'm angry at this. I want some change to this. I'm not going to tolerate this kind of behavior by police. Uh, I'm going to find out why policemen believe they're not uh, susceptible to any complaints. I mean, how can they possibly believe that? We're going to do everything we can to to raise the number of people who participate, increase the numbers, and we're going to get something done. So this won't turn out like Occupy. This will be better than Occupy, bigger and better and stronger. Yeah, one of the things that occurs to me is, um, you know, thinking about your history as, as an activist and also someone who affected change within government is this almost marriage between what it takes to, you know, rebel in a lot of ways and work outside the system, I guess, and then also the work that has to be done within the system. And um, I think that there sometimes is some hesitation to, to take that step from, you know, moving outside to kind of working within the system um, as a way of making that change happen. Have you seen that? Yes, I've seen it. And I've also, as you're talking, I thought about how many times I'd look back on my life and my change from the protest movement to the political movement and found out that I didn't do things I could have done or should have done. And look back over this life I've had and think about why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I push hard over here? Why didn't I do that or the other thing? Why did I let so many opportunities go by that were missed? And why aren't I taking opportunities in hand right now? Why aren't I doing more things right now? And I'm trying to find other ways I can be useful in this movement at age 75. What can I do about it? And I know there are things I can do, and I'm going to do them. I'm not sure what they are, but I'm going to do them. Watch me. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so I have to admit, it took me a really long time to formulate this question. Um, I think it's one of the hardest questions I've ever really had to write. Um, and a lot of it is because I, I struggled with the word choice. Um, because I, really what it comes down to is sometimes it's really easy, and I think we have found that here at Appalachian, in an isolated culture like academia, to get really comfortable in complacency. And um, especially when you have a largely homogeneous culture, it can just be really easy to you know, accept that things are okay and mm -hmm. kind of just settle in and not really get out there and do exactly what you challenged our students to do today, which is get involved, pay attention, um, stand up and do something, whatever that something is that you need to do. 
And so I really struggle with using the word ally, but I think a lot of our students and faculty and staff at Appalachian, they're, they're seeking an authentic way to be a part of that process. Um, part of changing our culture into one that, that goes beyond lip service. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, we're a bunch of white people going, how can we help? How can we make this happen in our own culture, in our own change? How can we push without taking over or overtaking something that might not really belong to us? Um, are there lessons that you have learned that you can yes, talk about? Yes, and there are examples you can you can go to and look for at other people. I was thinking while you're talking about Anne and Carl Braden. Are you familiar with the I'm Bradens? Not. Google them. Okay. Anne and Carl Braden are just wonderful, wonderful people. This is a white couple from Louisville, Kentucky. She was from Anderson, Alabama, and she played an enormous role in the civil rights movement. It, no one has ever heard of her. Most people don't know of her good works. She's a wonderful person, and there are others like her. There are people who work for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Just think about Mindy Samstein, who most people who are listening to us have never heard of him. Uh, and there are just many lists, long, long list of such people, white people, who are active in the movement, who played a wonderful, wonderful role in the movement. And again, we don't know them because they didn't celebrate themselves, they didn't march at the front of the line, but they marched nonetheless. Uh, they're there, they did wonderful things, and they're there to be emulated and copied. There are people we ought to say, I can do that. I can do like that. And there are white students here on this campus who can say, gee, I can do what she did. I can do what he did. I can do something more than they did. Wait and see. They can do it. Yeah. I think also our our administrators and our faculty are looking for ways to provide those environments where those conversations can take place. Well, again, there, there, there are models there. You think of uh, Howard Zinn, who taught at Spelman College in Atlanta before the world heard about him as Howard Zinn, the Boston University professor, or uh, just a long, long list of figures like him who played a role in the, in the movement. And again, they're not really well known, but they've had just a wonderful, wonderful effect on it. There's a part of me that wonders if um, just trying to create an environment where it's safe to stumble and fall a little bit, it's safe to mess yes, up. Yes, yes, yes. You have to be ready to make a mistake. And 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 get pick up and, and go ahead and do it again. Yeah, I think so. Um, I just want to say personally, I appreciate the time that you have taken to sit down with us today. I know you have a very busy day, and there's a lot going on. What we hope to do on our campus, I think, will be largely informed um, by your wisdom. Uh, there are a lot of people on our campus looking forward to hearing you tonight and um, looking um, for role models, and uh, we appreciate you I being think that's a big us. weight. <laughs> you bear it well. Thank you very much. I do my best. Thank you. So, Julian Bond, we appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I wanted to talk to Julian Bond because I don't think our campus community knows how to move forward. So I thought if I could ask him about his experience as a civil rights activist and a legislator, maybe he could offer some guidance. And what he told me, told us, is that we have to figure this out for ourselves. In doing so, we must honor the past and understand that the days when black people could not sit at the lunch counter are still in the memories of millions of Americans. And those days offer us some incredible role models for joining together to change our community for the better. But ultimately, as our chancellor told us a few weeks ago, we must and will take ownership of our own community and define it for ourselves. And we will make mistakes because we're figuring things out. 
Today's show was written and produced by Troy Tuttle, Dave Blanks, and me, Megan Hayes. Our sound engineer is Dave Blanks. Our web team is Pete Montaldi and Alex Waterworth. Our theme song was written and performed by Derek Wyckoff of Naked Gods. Our podcast studio is dedicated to Greg Cuddy. Special thanks to Stephen Dubner for the inspiration, advice, and moral support. Sound Effect is a production of the University Communications Team at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. For Sound Effect, I'm Megan Hayes.